Well, today we're back in uh, chapter 6 of Matthew. And you remember that chapter 5, 6, and 7 deals with the Sermon on the Mount. And remember that it's one discourse that Jesus is giving to his followers, the disciples. He's dealing with chapter 5, 6, and 7 all at one time. So it's not three different messages. I don't know how long it took Jesus to sit and, and teach his disciples the content of these three chapters. But here, Jesus is dealing with issues related to the heart. He's concerned that the Pharisees especially are focused on the outward appearance. They're not too concerned about what's going on inside. But you and I realize that Jesus not only sees what we do on the outside, Jesus can see our hearts. He can see what we're thinking. And that's scary sometimes, isn't it? To be honest, aren't you glad that most, you know, well, not most, that no one can honestly read our hearts and minds? Because sometimes we'd be in really big trouble. Maybe not even over serious issues. But when you're asked, how does this dress look? And you get a big smile and you say, oh, it looks wonderful. Can you imagine if your wife could read your heart? And she says, so it doesn't look good, huh? Jesus, however, knows everything. And he's not just concerned with what the Pharisees are concerned with, with the outward appearance. He's concerned with the motivations and the affections of the heart. Now, in chapter 6, we've been focusing on worship because that's what this chapter is really dealing with. That's the target Jesus has in this chapter. He wants us to be worshipers of him. And we talked about how worship really is being focused on God and how worthy he is. And worship isn't about just the outward appearance of, of how we're to impress one another or this world. But true worship is of the heart, and it's focused on God himself. And so you remember that Jesus referred to three different acts of worship. In the first verse, he talks about these acts of worship as, as acts of righteousness. And he talks there about giving, he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. They're in the order that Jesus gives them to us. And so you can't uh, blame the pastor for starting with the issue of giving because Jesus started this chapter on worship talking about giving. Now, the Lord is not concerned in this chapter with our preferences in regards to the style of worship. That's not what he's focused on. He's focused on key issues of worship, not on the style that you or your neighbor or the style that I might necessarily like. Last Sunday afternoon, Late afternoon, I was involved in the installation service of a new pastor in the area at uh, Grace Baptist Church on the south side of Syracuse. 
And uh, the new pastor there, his name is Conroy Lewis. I've known Conroy for a long time when he was a student at Davis College. In fact, after uh, uh, his college days, I hired him as one of our uh, recruiters in the admissions uh, department. And Conroy's just a wonderful young man and has a wonderful wife and a uh, little daughter who's just as cute as could be. And Conroy is from Jamaica, Jamaica man, you know. And uh, he's just a great guy. And I remember even during his college days, uh, especially when it was the president's chapel once each week, I would meet with Conroy and I'd say, now Conroy, I really want the service to have a strong Jamaican feel to it. And so Conroy would be in charge of the music and you'd think you were in Jamaica. It was the style, you see. And uh, I'm sure that uh, you, you know that around this world, there are all kinds of different styles of worship. Some you might appreciate, some you might not. But Jesus is not concerned about style here. He's concerned about key elements. And he's concerned about, about general is issues that relate to the heart. And so he tells us this, that if you really are going to worship God the Father, then you need to be a giver. I'm sure he's talking about finances, but he's talking about us being givers in so many different ways. And what he's focused on, he gives the, the Pharisees and his disciples a caution when he tell, wants to make sure that they understand that when you truly worship and you give, you don't give to get the attention of other people. You don't give so that other people think, you know, how generous you are and how wonderful you are. And, and really, you know, God must be awfully happy to have you as one of his followers. And what Jesus tells the Pharisees especially, that when you give and you do it to get the attention of the people around you, you get your reward, but that's the only reward you get. It is paid in full. And then he talks about prayer and how important prayer is. And again, the, the Pharisees especially were a great example of what not to do when you pray. And so when they were praying, they wanted to make sure that people knew that they were men of prayer. And so their concern was to be recognized by people. And Jesus once again tells them, when you pray to the Heavenly Father, but you're really doing it to impress people, you have your reward and the reward is in full. But he wants them to realize that when they pray, in essence, in secret, their heavenly father sees in secret because he sees all things, and he will be the one who will reward you. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have God's rewards than your rewards. And you need to have that same view. Well, then last week we talked about fasting, and so Jesus deals with fasting. And again, there was a caution in, in regards to this fasting. He says, when you fast, now, there's no command to fast in, in uh, the New Testament. There was only one command given in Scripture, and it's on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. And so he wants to caution them not, not to be judging everyone else, and instead of uh, the Pharisees fasting on 
specific occasions. They were fasting twice a week, and they made sure that they fasted on the days that everyone was in the market, so they would be in the market, and everyone would know that these were spiritual men who were fasting because they made sure they looked bad so that people thought, wow, they're depriving themselves for God. And Jesus wants them, again, to realize that if you let everybody know you're fasting and you're doing it to, re- to have people recognize you, you have your reward. But when you fast in secret and you do it as part of your worship to God, then God, who sees it in secret, will reward you. Now, in today's portion of Scripture, verse 29... in in one way to the end of the chapter, but specifically we're going to focus on verse 19 to verse 24, it's in this account that Jesus really gets to the heart of the matter. And so he's not dealing with just acts of worship here. He's really giving the real diagnosis of the problem. It's a heart problem. And so he's talking about the heart of the problem. And the heart of the problem is this. He wants them to know that you cannot have more than one God. Now you might say today, well, I, I, don't, I don't worship other gods. Well, oh, really? You see, we worship sometimes in this sense that we invest more in everything else outside of our relationship with God than we invest in our relationship with God. And what does, what does the Lord God tell us way back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20 when he deals with the Ten Commandments? What's the first commandment? That we're to have no other, what? Gods before him. And so when anything else or anyone else in our lives is more important to us than God, we're committing idolatry. That's the even second commandment. When we think of idolatry, well, we think of some little statue that people are, are bowing before that's either carved or, or it's out of stone or, or whatever. But you see, you and I can have idols too, things in our lives that in essence are more important to us than God. You see, God is not content to have, for us to have some list of priorities and say, well, you are in there, God. He has to be number one. That's what this account is all about. He needs to be numero uno. Or he's not happy and we're not going to be blessed. And so really the the key verse here, when he talks about this, how how we're not to be double-minded or have double vision, if you will, is, is found in verse 24. That's the key verse to this passage of Scripture. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now we're going to talk about that money or mammon. Some of you might have uh, that word in, in the translations that you have. And it's not just talking about money. It's those things that control us, those things that, that we really are investing our entire lives in. Now I want you to notice what he has to say here, and, and of course his Pharise- the Pharisees are, are really the, the prime example here. Uh, they provided the, the striking example how they really had a double standard. They, they talked of heaven, of course, 
but uh, they uh, really were individuals who acted as if earth held all of their hopes. Let me say that again because I think we need to get this. The Pharisees, you see, they talked about heaven. They knew what to say, when to say it. They, they knew how to, how to give so that people would see them give. So they were givers at least. They were individuals who prayed. And even in the book of uh, Luke, you know, we, we have a contrast for, with the Pharisee and this poor sinner who was praying. And the poor sinner was crying out for mercy from God. What does the Pharisee say? Well, you know, I, I do all these wonderful things. I, I fast, in fact, twice a week. And, uh, you know, it's commanded once a, once a year, but hey, twice a week, I do it. You know, and, and so he, they knew what to say, how to act in a sense, but really they acted, however, as if earth itself held their hope. And you see, that's what Jesus is, is dealing with here. And so... I want you to, to just take note of, as I read, verses 19 through 24. And here's what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here is a key principle. We're going to look at it in a specific way, but in a general way as well today. Verse uh, 21, I'm sure you're familiar with the verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so Jesus is dealing here then with this real diagnosis of the problem. And you realize that when you go to a doctor, the, the major concern, if you're not healthy, is for that doctor to come up with a proper diagnosis. And so that doctor will talk to you and ask you questions and he'll do, uh, you know, he'll listen to your heart and, and so forth. And he might send you for all kinds of tests so that he can diagnose properly the problem. Because unless the diagnosis is right, the treatment's not going to be right. And so Jesus here is talking about worship, but now he's getting to the heart of the matter and he wants them to realize that the, the major problem is a heart problem. And the heart problem is this, that they cannot serve two masters. The heart problem is that they cannot have more than one God. You cannot be spiritually uh, divided. You cannot have double vision. You cannot be double-minded when it comes to God. And so Confucius says this, the man who chooses two rabbits catches neither. Now most of you know that Elaine and I have a dog. The dog right now is three years old. 
And uh, we, I was corrected a few weeks ago. I don't live, quote, in the city. But compared to where Elaine and I lived before we moved here, this feels like we live in the city. It's a, it's a development. And uh, in our development, uh, you know, we enjoy our house, but there's not a lot of property to it. And, and uh, so, you know, we have uh, homes close by, and, and we fortunately have a lot of trees and all, but we don't have a yard that we can just fence in and the dog can be let loose and run all over. So we take the dog for walks and, and uh, you know, we try to get the dog uh, some exercise every day, all that kind of stuff. But this dog has a lot of energy. And uh, we have in our neighborhood, because there's a lot of trees and so forth, uh, there, there's a lot of wildlife, believe it or not. And we have a lot of rabbits and a lot of squirrels. I mean, literally squirrels, not people. And, you know, they're running all over the place. And there's at least these two rabbits that I am totally convinced love to see the dog go crazy. And so sometimes they're together and, and uh, you know, Elaine thinks that I'm being kind of mean, but sometimes I'll say, Bella, the rabbits are out there. And Bella will run to one of the windows to look out and Bella sees the rabbits. And she goes crazy especially in the dining room. So in our dining room, we have these windows that go from top to bottom, and Elaine gets after me not to get the dog too excited because Elaine's worried the dog will just go right through the windows. But the dog will go there, and the dog will growl at the rabbit, the dog will bark at the rabbit, the dog's jumping up and down. And I think that these two rabbits actually get together, though, and they say, how can we get this dog even more? Because what happens is sometimes one rabbit is out front and one rabbit is in the back. And sometimes I have to point out to Bella that, the, Bella, come here, look at the rabbit in the front. And Bella will run to the front and look at the rabbit and bark and growl and jump up and down. And then she'll run to the dining room in the back and she'll see that rabbit and she's jumping up and down and barking and growling. And then she, she's going back and forth all the time. Now, sometimes I look at that rabbit and I think, boy, I wish I could let Bella out. <laughs> Bella would have a good time. And you rabbits wouldn't think you're so smart then. And I wonder, though, sometimes if I could, if, and we don't have a door right in the middle of, the, of you know, the, the front and the back, but I wonder if we did, if I took Bella there and I said, okay, Bella, the rabbits are out there, and Bella knew the rabbits were there, and if I let Bella out, and it was right in the middle, which rabbit would Bella go after? Or would Bella be foolish enough to think, well, I can get them both? And do the same thing that she does inside, but outside. Run around and jump and growl, but go back and forth all the time. You see, that's the picture, though, Jesus is painting, in a sense, for us when it comes to spiritual things in God. We're running around chasing two rabbits, and guess what? We're not going to catch either of them. And so you and I need to realize that, that what Jesus is giving here is what James even picked up on in James chapter 1 and verse 8, when James says that a double-minded man, that's what we're talking about, is unstable in all of his ways. And so what he's focused on here is, is this, that you and I need to serve one master. 
And uh, we need to realize that there are a lot of people, a lot of false people that are supposedly followers of Jesus that are chasing two rabbits. And in essence, they're not going to do justice to either. Now, before we look at this specifically, I want you to realize that there are three commands given in this passage of Scripture because the passage of Scripture really goes from verse 19 all the way to verse 34. When you look at verse 25, you notice what the verse starts with. It starts with the word, therefore. And what that word is really doing is connecting verses 19 to 24 with verse 25 to the end of the chapter. I've told you this numerous times, but old uh, Bible teachers always used to say, when you see the word therefore, figure out what it's there for. And so it's a word that's connecting. So I want you to notice that the first command is in verse 20. And here's the command. So he tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but that's not the command. The command is in verse 20. So the command is a positive command. It says this, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the command. And so Jesus is telling us that our investment needs to be in heaven, not here on this earth. And he tells us where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. There's the command. Now, I'm sure that when Jesus is teaching here, he's probably thinking that, you know, what I'm giving my followers is difficult to, to deal with. And I'm sure that he thought, you know, they must feel threatened and, and probably feel anxious and fearful and it's going to get them to worry, so I'm going to deal with that right now. And so then he gives us the second command and the second command is actually in verse 25. Here's the command. Therefore, I tell you, be not anxious about your life. So here's what he's saying. The first command, make sure you're investing in heaven. Second command, you don't need to worry. Don't worry. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be fearful. Because when you're investing in heaven, you can be assured that I'm going to be with you. I love you. I care about you. And I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to supply all of your needs. Do you realize we deal with this all the time? Now, the third command is in verse 33. You're familiar with, with this verse, but I want you to realize that it's a command. It's the third command. He says this, but seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So what he's saying here in a command is this. You don't need to be anxious. You need to seek me first. And everything else will fall into place when you truly are seeking me. Three commands that we need to live by, you see. Well, where, where's our treasure, here on earth or in heaven? Well, he tells us that our, our treasure needs to be in heaven. And, and when our treasure is in heaven, it's, it's easy from an earthly standpoint because we're not trying to control everything around us. It's easy to be worried and fearful and anxious. And Jesus says, you don't need to be because I care about you. He gives all kinds of, of uh, you know, just assurances in verse 25 to, to the end of the chapter that I love you, I care about you, I'll take care of your needs. 
Don't I take care of the birds? I, I know how many hairs you have on your head. And, you know, for some, that's a big deal. Others, well, it's not too hard to count, maybe. But I know what they are because you're mine and I care about you. So what's your focus? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God. That's where you need to focus. Now, we, we all ha have problems with that issue on occasions. I, I dealt with it a little bit this week. I had, uh, this is usually the time of the year that I make some decisions on what I'm going to do this next year as far as travel and things like that. And so I get this, uh, a couple of great invitations for ministry. And uh, two of them are in places that aren't too safe. Uh, one of them is in Nigeria. And I thought, okay, well, I probably shouldn't go to Nigeria. I honestly came up with all kinds of excuses why I shouldn't go to Nigeria. And uh, the person who uh, contacted me, I said, well, you know, it, and this probably didn't help. I, I decided I was going to read some current articles on Nigeria. And it just so happened that a Christianity Today had this this uh, recent article on, on the church in Nigeria and how the church is being persecuted and everything else. And of course, that's the reason we're going to, to, to help church and, and to deal with government and try to bring more reconciliation and freedom and so forth. And I'm thinking, you know, so I, so I, I texted my good friend and I said, that's not a real safe place, is it? See where, see, where was my focus? Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be wise, but what, where was my focus? And so he texted back and he said, from the guy who was in Lebanon last year and the guy who goes to Cuba, you guys think we're that safe every time we go to Cuba? He says, you'll be safe. You know, God will be there. He had to preach to me. I wouldn't, didn't really appreciate it. And so I thought, okay, well, i got to work through some issues then. So, you know, I thought, okay, here, here are the reasons why I shouldn't go. I started working through them. And, and God wiped every one of them out. And I thought, okay. I guess I, you see, we deal with this all the time. Our focus is so often on earth instead of heaven. And that's what Jesus is dealing with. So I want you to realize then what he, what he deals with next in, in, in this account is, is treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. He, he begins to, to deal with this in, in chapter 6. And I want you to notice verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so he, he talks about treasures on earth, first of all. Now treasure here is man's dearest possessions can be actual possessions of, of earth, but it can be people. It can be a lot of different things. So he's dealing with man's dearest possessions. He, he's saying that, that to which a person gives his undivided attention to, is it all focused on earth? He, he's dealing with man's chief interests in life, a person's true affection. To think about treasures, I think the best way to think about it is this. It's dealing with investments. And not, not just, you know, we're not talking about stocks and bonds and money here. What do you invest in here on this earth? And here's what he's saying. If you're investing more on earth than you are in heaven, 
Your priorities are all messed up. That's what he's dealing with. And so he talks about the, these treasures here. And uh, we're, we'll come back to the, to the principle in just a minute, but he talks about the treasures on earth, and you realize that earth is transitory, right? Earth is not going to be here all the time, all, forever. And guess what? I, I hate to tell you this, but none of us are going to be here all the time either. Some of us this week, you, you know that I had here numerous times Dr. Gil Parker uh, he, he taught on heaven. He, he, I used to love having him come, and we, we've known each other for a long time. And, and Thursday morning, his wife passed away, Marilyn. And again, it was just a reminder to all of us that life itself is transitory, isn't it, from an earthly standpoint. And so here's what he tells us about treasures on earth. He says, first of all, they're going to be consumed and they're going to corrode. They're going to perish. Their, their rust is going to dis, you know, devour them. They're going to uh, disintegrate, if you will. They're going to deteriorate. So if whatever, we're, again, we're not just talking about, about money or whatever, but whatever you're investing in here on this earth, realize that it can be consumed, it's going to corrode, it's going to perish, it's going to be devoured by rust or something else, it's, it's going to corrode. Some of you maybe in the past have had your favorite cars. And what happens to cars, especially up here in the north? with the salt and all the chemicals and so forth. And, and so we Z-Bart or whatever you might call it and everything else. We do everything we possibly can to keep our cars from, from rusting out and so forth. But what Jesus is saying is this, that when, when you're investing here on this earth, realize that it doesn't matter what the investment is. It doesn't have to be an evil investment, but when your investment is focused on earth, it's not going to last. And he tells us that they can be confiscated. They can be stolen. You can lose them. You, it can be taken from you. Well, I think that Scripture also teaches us, if you look at verse 25 down, that uh, you know these uh, treasures on earth, they can confuse you. When our focus is, is earth, then treasures on earth leads to worry and fear and anxiety. They conceal the truth oftentimes. And they mess up our priorities. Well, I think scripture also teaches us this, that when our treasure and what our, we're invested in is, is earthly, then they control us as well. We don't want to admit it, but they control us. They just mess up all of our thoughts and decision-making. Well, then he turns our attention to treasures in heaven, and you realize that heaven as opposite of earth isn't transitory, but it will be permanent. And so here's what he says, but lay up in this command for yourselves treasures in earth where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. And so what does he tell us here? Well, our, our treasures in heaven are incorruptible. They're not subject to death or decay. When we invest in heaven... Uh, it's uh, indestructible. It's going to endure. He tells us that they're undefiled. In other words, they're, they're pure. They're not going to be corrupted. They're not going to become unclean when our focus is, is heaven. And he tells us, in essence, that they're unfading. They're not going to lose its, their brightness. The other day, I, 
uh, met this guy. <clears throat> he and a friend of his were coming out of a restaurant, and I was at my car, and he had a, a, a he purchased this new car. It wasn't a brand new car. It was a 1965 Corvette, and uh, I saw it and yelled over to him. I said, "Man, that's pretty sharp." I said, I bet you that really goes fast. He goes, oh, I have to really be careful. And he's telling tell me about the car. And we're talking at a distance. And he says, yeah, but it's fading. He says, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. So I, walk, I walked over. And, you know, from a distance, the car looked fantastic. And it was a sharp car. But up close, it, had, it was fading like you would not believe. It wasn't so pretty up close. And Jesus says this, though. That when your, your treasure is in heaven, it's unfading. It will remain bright. Now, the next part of, of this, really, in, at the end of uh, verse, or beginning of verse 21 on here, he, he deals with this principle. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he tells us, in essence, you know, that we need to look at what we're investing in. And so he, he's telling us that when you invest, your heart's going to be there. And, and I think that's an important principle. It's a principle even in regards to worship. That when we're truly worshiping God, then we're investing in God. We're not investing in earth. We're making sure our hope is in God. Our hope's not on this earth. And when we're investing in God, then that's where our treasure will be and our heart will be there as well. So you have to think about that in a general way as well. So when you think about worship, are you when you come to church on Sunday mornings to worship corporately, have you made any kind of investments at all in that worship? And I'm not talking about finances. Before you even get here, have you spent time with God and asked God, God, speak to me through the songs that we sing. Help me to really experience worship today. God, speak to me with, with the message from your word. Are you making any kind of investment in God and in worship? Because if you make that investment, guess what? Your heart will be in it. But it's a principle that we see in life. Sometimes I'll have people tell me, you know, I, I don't feel loving to my wife anymore. Or I don't love my husband anymore. Or I don't have any feelings. And, I, and I'll usually ask this question. Well, are you investing in your marriage? Are you investing in your wife? Are you investing in your, in your husband? Because guess what? The principle is true. When you are investing in your marriage, that's where your treasure will be. And your treasure then will impact your heart. The same is true with your family. Are you making any kind of investments in your family? And again, I'm not talking about how much you buy them or how much money you give to them. Are you investing in your church? Well, I don't feel really good about church. Well, what do you, are you investing in church? Are you involved in anything in church? Are you in a life group in church? Or do you just come once a month? If you come once a month, there's no investment. There's no wonder why your heart's not in it. Where your treasure is, where you invest, your heart will be also. Well, then he goes on, and I want you to notice he tells us that we need to target one master. 
And so he says, the eye is the lamp of the, of the body. Uh, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is, is darkness, how great is that darkness? And no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoured, uh, or he will be devoted to, one, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, and money or, or mammon. And so he's saying, in essence, this, that, that you need to be healthy spiritually. And how are you holding on to the things that are in your life? Are you holding with a death grip? your possessions and what you have here on this earth, or are you holding it with wide open hands? I love this quote by Corey Ten Boone. Corey Ten Boone said this, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. You, you need to realize that what Jesus is talking about here, if, if you want to serve, try to serve two masters, God's not going to be happy, and whatever that other master is, and you're hanging on to it, he's going to pry those fingers o- open. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like pain. And when I can get away from pain, as much as I can, I do. And what Corey Ten Boone is saying this, with your possessions, hold them like this. And make sure that you realize that God owns those possessions. Well, he, she, or he gives us, the Lord gives us a couple uh, concerns here. He talks about your eye must be healthy. And we all know that if you have an injury to your eye, uh, immediately you're, it impairs your vision. It leads to double vision. And so he talks about good eyesight and bad eyesight. Uh, some of you know that Tim Walker, probably a year or more ago, hurt his eye. He ran into a, uh, you know, a camper. And he really did a number on his eye. He's lucky to have an eye. He was lucky to, that he didn't lose all eyesight. But even now, uh, he has problems with eyesight. So Tim found out that I was speaking on this passage, and he sent me a picture of his eye immediately after it happened. And he said, you have my permission if you want to use this. And I said, Tim, if I use that on Sunday morning, people would be so frightened, they'd probably run out. So I'm probably not going to use it. And then I thought, well, what if I use it? And I said, would your spiritual life look this bad? Because that's what Jesus taught about. And so he talks about this eye here. And, and, he, and he, he, the Pharisees, you see, had double vision. They, they wavered between darkness and light. They, they were spiritually blind. They couldn't see. And the eye here, not just here, but in Scripture is really a symbol of purpose, of motive, of, of intention of heart. And when we talk about, you know, good eyesight, it's a metaphor for actually being generous and, and good. It, it's about us reflecting God's goodness and God's generosity. And so generosity, of course, is the opposite of looking out for yourself, which the, the Pharisees were doing. And so he's talking about healthy here. And the health, healthy means single or devoted to one purpose. It's talking about being undivided, no divided loyalties. And so God doesn't want us to have any divided loyalties. He, he wants us to be loyal to him. He, he doesn't want us to have any kind of double vision when it comes to him. And so a healthy eye, well, maybe a healthy eye is having the capacity uh, to distinguish between uh, true and lasting values. 
of what's really heavenly focused and what is earthly focused. Well, then he talks about, you know, your master must be God. And so serve here, he talks about in verse 24, serve means to to be under the control of God. That's what it means. Who or or what controls you? You see, He, he wants us to know that God wants to control. He wants to be our master. We, we, we honestly can't just have this view, uh, I did it my way. You realize that if I said I did it my way, that it would probably be Satan's way. To do it my way is a selfish way. To, to do it my way usually isn't God's way. And so God's way is not Satan's way, and it's usually not my way. And so as our master, he wants to have absolute control of us. And when he uses the word money or mammon, it's a word for, for material possessions. But when you do a study of the word itself, mammon, or, or the word used here in, in this account, it, it not only talks about riches or wealth, the root word means to entrust. The root word means to place in someone's keeping that in which man trusts. And so possessions became the key issue. So what Jesus is saying here is this, that no one can worship God at the shrine of greed and and earthly ambitions and selfishness. That we have to turn from idols to serve the true and living God. Well, how do we end this? Well, I, I want you to realize that there's some questions I guess we could ask. Who owns your possessions? I mean, it's easy to say I do, or, or you can say God does, but does he really? Are you seeking moral or material excellencies? Because if your focus and investment is only on the material excellence, then you're not putting treasures in heaven? Are you seeking permanent or perishable possessions? Who or what are you really trusting? And so this morning, you know, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the key is to choose because that's the last command in the chapter. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. They're going to fall into place. And so don't let anyone or anything become a God to you. Put him first in your life. Make sure your true treasure is in heaven because it's safe and secure there. I think what we need to to do as individuals is really to identify in our lives, to, to discover, if you will, to determine what other gods do we have in our lives. We might not call them gods, but really they're taking the place of our Heavenly Father. We're looking to them for hope and we're looking to those other issues for for even pleasure and so forth instead of really looking to God. And once we determine what those gods are, you know, we need to destroy them and we need to make the decision 
that we're going to follow God. And how does it all start? Well, it all starts with us putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and realizing that the only way to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, the only way to find forgiveness of sins is if we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. And then when we do that, we make this choice. Are we going to allow him to be truly our Lord and and our Master? Are we going to give him absolute control in our lives? Or are we going to try in some way to chase two rabbits and not do either of them any service? God help us that we might choose him. That we might seek him first and foremost and realize that everything else will fall into place when we make him our master. Where your treasure is, where you're investing, there will your heart be also.